When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com. Welcome, 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 everyone. This is the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. We've got a lot going on this weekend, so let's get right down to it. So uh, Thursday Night Football actually had an entertaining game between the Rams and 49ers, which the Niners should have won, but managed to blow because, you know, they are quarterback by Brian Hoyer. So uh, there's that. But anyway, uh, actually had a good game. Uh Doubt that we'll probably get another one the rest of the season, but hey, you know sometimes uh, you'll 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 take an entertainingly bad football game over just what Thursday night football usually is, which is just dreck. But uh, moving on, we've got a couple of things uh, heating up uh, as we close down the baseball season. So wild card races are still up in the air on the NL side. AL side, it's pretty much. Uh, coming down to the Yankees, even though they had the slip-up against Toronto last night with the hidden ball trick being pulled on Todd Frazier, which was actually kind of humorous to look at, seeing a major leaguer fall for that. But, uh, you know, the Yankees are still in a really good spot uh, uh, in terms of win probability, probably going to be uh, uh, clo- uh, clinching in in the next couple of days. Just because in terms of the remaining pretenders, uh, you got uh, the Angels and the Rangers still not even at 500 yet, uh, given their recent skids. Yankees, uh, even with the loss last night, 15 and six in the last 21. Uh, pitching, while no number one starter on the Yankees roster, uh, has been solid. Uh, Sonny Gray's been 
uh, good for the most part. Severino's exceeded all expectations given them to him this year. And while Tanaka has been a disappointment in a contract year since he can opt out, I mean, it still works as a number three starter on pretty much any major league roster. So, I, you know, do I think the Yankees are a bona fide playoff team? Not necessarily. I think they have potential to be dangerous if they can get past the wildcard game. I don't think they're going to catch the Red Sox uh, for the ALEs just because uh, Boston's been pretty solid throughout. Uh, no, no slip-ups in September uh, outside of uh, their pitching staff just being a bit of a wreck because Boston doesn't actually have uh, much of a, a pitching staff beyond just using Chris Sale, uh, just given everything that's happened with David uh, Price this year and Porcello just uh, reverting back to being Rick Porcello and not a Cy Young winner from last season. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the Yankees do have a chance uh, when they get into a five-game series against Houston. And, you know, if anything uh, goes from there, uh, if you, once you get to a seven-game series in the, uh, uh, for the pennant. But, you know, still a lot to go on. I mean, in terms of uh, the areas where I kind of see the Yankees, you know, I think uh, outside of the actual Yankee brass themselves, which pitches themselves as a, a World Series contending team. I, I look at them as kind of a spoiler team to knock somebody off like Houston, uh, uh, just not ne- uh, nearly complete enough to actually make a deep run into the World Series. But, you know, I I, I definitely think the, the oh, all things considered, anyone with uh, any sense of reality would actually say this is a tremendous success for the Yankees. Now, for the Yankees brass, they've already gone on record saying making the playoffs would be a tremendous disappointment. And uh, basically, if you listen to Michael Kay at all, which I try to avoid at all costs, but, uh, you know, he's already on record saying that they're the strongest team in the AL uh, and that they're going to beat Houston. So, you know, I, I don't understand how that logic can persist when the Indians winning streak pretty much details that they are the team to beat in the AL. But, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I chalk that up to New York, uh, bias and just stupidity in general in the, in the media circles, but you know, that it is what it is. So in terms of the NL wildcard race, uh, this is where it gets interesting because Colorado has been in the mix the entire way through. I mean, they got off to the hot start. Uh, the Dodgers crept back in and then finally took control of uh, the NOS uh, until this recent blip. Uh, but then you got uh, the Diamondbacks, uh, who were s- still strong, but then turned it up a little bit uh, uh, in uh, July and then uh, uh, became the overall uh, number one wildcard seed. And you're actually looking at Colorado uh, basically clinging on to the uh, second wildcard spot with a game and a half lead. And uh, you got the Brewers uh, uh, coming down on the next. And, you know, from the looks of it, the Cardinals never went away. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, the Brewers uh, had ample opportunities to put away the cards, didn't do it. The Rockies have started to scuffle because they've dropped a a couple of games uh, here and there. So now they're, uh, they they got a win last night, but, you know, they haven't been great at all in terms of of, uh, finishing the season strong. So, you actually have a certain era where the Cardinals 
despite the fact that Carlos Martinez has been a complete bust this year, could actually manage to sneak their way into the playoffs uh, with a team, you know, by all accounts, it, it would be considered more of a rebuilding year for the Cardinals uh, than anything else. Uh, Colorado, you know, while they always say the story is like Colorado's pitching will fail at, uh, fail at the end, the young pitching staff has held up pretty well throughout the year, and they score a ton of runs just because, you know, it's course. I mean, who doesn't score a ton of runs there? I mean, the biggest thing with the Rockies uh, down the closing stretch is the fact that Arenado's gone into witness protection, and, uh, you know, you're not getting any uh, burn out of uh, Charlie Blackman. And, you know, Ian Desmond has been a complete bust in terms of uh, that one-year deal that they signed with him uh, just to uh, get him at first base. Uh, he really hasn't brought anything to the table. So, uh, you know, I would say it's a mo- it would be a big disappointment for the Rockets to actually miss out on the uh, playoffs just to, uh, because of how strong they've been throughout the year. I mean, it'd be one thing if, you know, they, they had a cup of tea and, you know, fell out of it late, but they've been in the playoff mix the entire year in the NL side. I mean, the Brewers, you know, for the most part, I mean, were an afterthought this year. I mean, the, uh, none of the signings that they did raise any eyebrows. I mean, Marcus Thames was a reckless uh, reclamation project, and the pitching staff was way too young to actually be considered anything uh, more than just cannon fodder for the rest of the NL Central. And, you know, everyone thought the Cubs were going to be running away with it, and, you know, Cubs just <laughs> just have been in neutral the entire year. So, uh, now that the Cubs have uh, slightly reestablished themselves uh, and uh, only now have gotten uh, kind of back over that 100-run uh, differential that most teams uh, uh, seem to enjoy, you know, they're starting to resemble the team that you saw last year. But uh, by no means would I say any team uh, in the NL is on solid footings uh, uh, just because the Nationals have been just – Holding court, uh, uh, just uh, trying to get Bryce uh, back up to speed uh, and fully healthy for the playoffs. Dodgers, like I said, scuffling. Arizona looks like the hottest team going into the NL, but honestly, I, the the only thing I look at with uh, Arizona's pitching staff is once you get past Granky, there there isn't that much there that scares me, and the bullpen doesn't really intimidate me either. So. You know, I, I think there's a, a lot of uh, room for uh, surprises uh, on the NL side of uh, the playoff uh, picture this year. Just because, you know, there's no team right now, uh, unless the Dodgers rediscovered the magic that they had in the middle part of the season, that's to me, looks like they could run away with uh, this entire uh, pennant. Uh, I, I think the NL is uh, anyone's for the taking if they can just get into the playoffs. So... On the baseball side, you know, we'll see how the next uh, week or so uh, pans out. Because, uh, uh, again, uh, you know, we're closing down to the season. So, uh, you know, all those little uh, meaningless series that you thought were meaningless now actually have some uh, relevant value with, with uh, different managers actually bringing up the spring uh, uh, spring rosters and uh, using, you know, 20-some-odd relievers that are dragging out games. But, you know, that's a whole nother rant for a different time. But, uh you know, we'll see how we, uh, everything goes. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Now for a story that I wanted to get to earlier this week, and I just never got around to it just because of uh just getting bogged down when the NFL, but the latest drama with boxing. Going back to last week's fight with Triple G and Canelo Alvarez, the fight that was supposed to be the fight of the year, and instead we got a very good fight, but no one actually is talking about the fight because of how ridiculous the judging uh, system works in Vegas. I mean, let's peel it back. We've got Adelaide Bird scoring the fight 118 to 110 for Canelo. Now, let, let's let's just you know give benefit of the doubt. Maybe maybe there could have been a possibility of that happening in some circumstance of a fight. But when you have a fight where Triple G is dictating the pace of the fight, dictating the actual where the fight's going to go, Canelo is acquiescing and leaning on the ropes just to, for all intents and purposes, catch his breath because he was getting worn out in those middle rounds. Triple G was scoring multiple punch combinations and the copy box numbers were heavily slanted in his favor. Even if you could say uh, there were a couple of clean counter punches from Canelo to sway a couple of rounds, I mean, this wasn't a Sugar Ray Leonard Hagler situation where Canelo was throwing together these masterful combinations and like uh, blitzing uh, Triple G in like a couple of uh, flashes in 30 second rounds to steal around in the judge's eyes. This was pretty much Triple G loading up, trying to hit uh, some uh, power combos on Canelo. Canelo at least using head movement to uh, evade most punches, but again, not really doing enough to get himself out of bad situations. To me, when you put yourself in a bad situation and can't get yourself out of it, you're not going to win that round. For him to actually get as many rounds as he did was actually a surprise to me because I, I had that fight eight rounds to four. I, I, I had the Triple G winning it 116-112. I went back and watched the fight, and I still had the, the score the same way because there was nothing that I saw out of Canelo in that fight that ever had me believing that he was really in control of the fight uh, beyond uh, the first two rounds where Triple G couldn't get any uh, any sense of rhythm going and uh, uh, was visibly frustrated when he couldn't get uh, decent shots off after the first two rounds, and then he turned it up a notch in round three, and that was pretty much a wrap. Uh, Canelo really was never back in that fight again, in my opinion. I know people had that fight a little bit closer or can at least agree with the draw. I really didn't see it that way, but you know, I can at least see certain circumstances where okay you got a couple of clean counter punches and maybe that steals around but to go to the extreme of 118 to 110 that's what led to people to say that there's more corruption going on in boxing uh that uh bird was in the golden boy camp this that and the other i mean the truth of the matter is is that it's if you were actually rigging a fight, you would never even like hesitate to put a scorecard that lopsided 
because it's always going to be under critique. I, I mean, you could score it close as a win for Canelo if you're trying to rig a fight and you didn't think you won it. But like the amount of is it, it's just those the sheer lack of preparation. Even if that was a, a fixed fight going in, where you're trying to sway emotions of the crowd. It doesn't make any sense going that lopsided of a card outside of just genuine incompetence. And, you know, for Adelaide Bird, it's one of those observations I made before the fight where I was a little bit worried when she got to look, when I heard that name being selected as one of the judges, because that's one of the boxing judges and MMA judges that I always have head scratching decisions from because uh, this wasn't the first time it came up with controversy. There were a couple of MMA fights where. Uh, everyone's favorite split decision artist, Leonard Garcia, got a couple of wins uh, off of her scorecards. Uh, there were a couple of fights uh, where, you know, I've I've seen it called before where it, it's just very dubious numbers being registered by Bird. I mean, Teddy Atlas basically lost his mind Saturday night. And for those of you who didn't see it, I strongly suggest going on YouTube and pulling up the clip of Teddy Atlas, Stephen A. Smith, basically screaming at each other for no less than eight minutes. And it's actually one of the rarities where Stephen A. Smith actually sounds like the sanest person in a conversation because <laughs> Teddy is just belligerently screaming and Stephen A. is trying to be the voice of reason while acknowledging Teddy's point. So it actually is slightly comical, even though it's an adverse situation because you've ruined a perfectly good boxing fight. And even Stephen A. basically said that L.A. Bird needed to be banished and never seen or heard from again, which, again, for hyperbole purposes, that's actually kind of tame from a Stephen A. Smith take, but, you know, uh, or Screaming A, as I prefer to call him. But, uh, you know, it just kind of points to the height of incompetence that exists within the athletic commissions because even last year and i remember and i had to look it up again because i was almost positive uh it was bob arum and it, it actually was but it was like a top-ranked boxing represented by bob arum uh, basically tried to have bird removed from one of their pay-per-view bouts uh i think it was november of last year and uh, basically got shut down uh, it didn't really have an impact on the fight itself but the fact that they were so adamant that she needed to be replaced. Probably, it's probably a sign that, you know, there's something wrong where <clears throat> the fact that you these uh, athletic commissions hire judges and don't actually go through a rigorous screening process of the fights that they've called in the last year and a half and just kind of pick apart and just go back through and have an independent review of everything that's been done with some of those reviews to actually avoid similar circumstances from happening in the future because it's you know you you get you get the you get a couple of judges you got CJ Ross you got Cecil Peoples there are names of judges that people like automatically associate you just like throw your hands up in the air and you're saying oh geez not this guy again I mean it's one of the few things I really agree with uh, Dana White about it's like never leave it in the hands of the judges uh, when he's talking about an actual fight because. You know, some of these folks, you really don't know what goes on in their heads when they're actually looking at certain fights. You don't know what their criteria is. And the fact that it's so bad, uh, like how some of these judges' uh, scorecards read out, it, it's it's detrimental to the sport because a casual layperson is just looking at it as like, well, why am I watching this? 
I mean, for me, for someone who loves boxing and loves MMA, it's hard for me to justify why you should watch a, a fight where you can't actually trust the what you're seeing because you don't know what the, uh, the criteria that uh, these fighters are being judged upon. So I think that's just something inherent with uh, boxing and MMA that's it's going to exist. I, I mean, uh, Teddy Atlas basically sums up basically saying you got to follow where the money is and that the corruption will never end because uh, these judges will always rotate in and out. And yeah, they'll get put to the side temporarily, but they'll get brought back in when they need someone to uh, score a fight the way they look at it. That's what That was Teddy Atlas's primary argument. Stephen A. Smith actually said the opposite of that. It's just gross incompetence, but not actual uh, fixing. My, my take is that, you know, if you're going to fix it, at least make it look close eh, uh, while you fix it. You can't make it that look that blatantly obvious. That's why I, I, I almost agree with Stephen A. that it's just more gross incompetence by a rogue judge than a concerted effort to uh, uh, swing the motions of a fight just to start up the inevitable uh, trilogy. Because you had a trilogy possibility anyway with these two, uh, just given... Uh, the backgrounds of Triple G needing to uh, have a signature win, uh, Canelo just being the preeminent Mexican boxer. You already had an, an inherent cachet with these fighters, so you didn't actually need to stir up drama because of ridiculous judging scorecards. Uh, I, you know, it, it's just it just it ended up detracting from the fight, and that's the shame of it all because it was a really good fight. I suggest all of you watch it once it pops up on. Uh, HBO uh, in the future, uh, I believe they're doing a replay. Uh, if not tonight, then it's going to be sometime soon. But, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those where take a look at it, judge for yourself. But, you know, I look at it and just say it's just unfortunate because there should have, there should never have been anything that uh, detracts from a fight other than the fighters not bring it to the table. Both fighters brought it to the table. They just had different game plans, and I thought Triple G out-executed uh, what Canelo wanted to do and frustrated him. But, yep, and just to confirm it, yeah, there, there is going to be a replay tonight uh, sometime after 11 p.m. or midnight because uh, uh, it's Saturday uh, uh, today. So uh, for those of you staying in or just uh, want to DVR it, I uh, would just uh, DVR uh, the HBO boxing event tonight at 10 p.m. So uh, there's that. Moving on, we've got a little bit of uh, NFL news here. Uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has decided that they're setting a hearing date for the NFL's appeal of the injunction being removed on Ezekiel Elliott. So we've got uh, uh, the appeals process as, uh, process from the NFL being heard on Monday, October 2nd. So... Uh, it means Zeke is playing this week and next week, so he's got uh, two more games in place, and then you got a possibility of uh, suspension coming down uh, or be, uh, suspension being reinstated for Elliott uh, in the NFL season, or uh, you know, officially it being upheld that you know his entire process has to play out uh, after the season. The uh, Conclude. So uh, you've got uh, potential matchups uh, coming down the pike uh, this week against Arizona. Next week uh, would be uh, the Rams uh, on October 1st. So, you know, still a lot of moving parts there. It's just a complicated situation where, you know, again, 
I don't know what the uh, legal grounds would be for overturning the appeal. You know, the injunction, the injunction being lifted, I, I saw coming just because, you know, it, it, it's a, it, it, the injunction was being filed by a Texas judge in Texas. I, I mean, if you didn't see that one coming, I, I, I don't know what else, <laughs> what else to tell you. But, uh, you know, as far as that goes, uh, that's essentially the uh, uh, latest on the Ezekiel Elliott situation. From a fan's perspective, obviously you start Ezekiel Elliott as long as he's playing. I think last week was an aberration with uh, the Broncos just completely overwhelming the Cowboys' offensive line. I think it's a ends up being a different story against Arizona on Monday night when they just decided to rear up and just start running the football down. But I'll get into the NFL a bit uh, later on tomorrow uh, just to go into the games. But uh, the latest uh, bit of news that I heard, and maybe we get a deal coming up soon, is Carmelo Anthony. The latest melodrama with Carmelo's divorce from the Knicks ongoing, where Carmelo has now added additional teams to his request of uh, trading possibilities from the Rockets to now include the Cavaliers, where LeBron kind of wants him, but doesn't really feel the need to add Carmelo, and also the Thunder, which I thought was kind of interesting and might actually make sense, but I'll get into that. So the Cavaliers obviously get added because it's LeBron, so (laughs) uh, Carmelo always likes playing with LeBron. LeBron... I don't really think once Carmelo, not that he wouldn't be able to find use for him. I just think with Carmelo's playing style at this stage of his career, uh, LeBron's looking for a more athletic wing player to play defense. So he doesn't have to play defense against the Warriors than having someone like Carmelo where he would absolutely have to play defense because Carmelo's basically playing a power forward that's slow or center on defense. Uh, and you know, either of those matchups doesn't really work. Uh, as far as Houston goes, uh, that destination never made any sense. But, you know, he wants to uh, play around with James Harden and Chris Paul. I mean, hey, it'd be a fun offense because he'd be able to put up a ton of shots and uh, uh, get back to scoring uh, 28 points a game. Yeah, that, that Houston would actually be his best shot. The Thunder, meanwhile, I actually think would make the most sense from a team that could use him. Just because of the standpoint of Paul George can play a wing player and is versatile enough where he can match up. And then uh, on the Thunder roster, there they have uh, Andre Roberson who can play uh, bigger uh, forwards. I mean, it's actually what the uh, Thunder did against Golden State uh, two years ago with uh, uh, when they had KD against the Warriors where they had Roberson actually play uh, the four spot and let uh, KD get a little bit of a rest uh, defensively uh, and just actually stay out on the per- uh, perimeter uh, rather than having to uh, bang and uh, run people down. So I, I think uh, Melo would actually work on the Thunder as convoluted as it sounds because defensively his liabilities would get masked a bit more with uh, Paul George and uh, Rust and anywhere else uh, that he could go to as a contender. Now, the piece of it that interests interests me is how's Russ going to adapt to not actually 
having uh, uh, to put up numbers that he did last year because part of Russ's game last year was uh, aggressively uh, defend the ball, try to make a steal, and try to finish at the hoop because really, who else was going to shoot on that team? Now you got Paul George that you're fitting into the mix. George is going to put up at least 22 to 25 points a night uh, easily and still lock down a wing player. Carmelo, at this stage of his career, is still a solid 20-point-a-night player. So with all those shots going around, technically, Russ can take it easy and conserve more energy for the playoffs than he's had in years. Because even with the last couple of years with KD, I I felt that he was still taking too many shots at the point guard position, which, you know, more often than not, will burn you out come playoff time. So I actually think uh, Melo actually helps in this regard because, you know, you can let Melo do his thing for certain segments or let Melo run the B team and have his ISO offense. And that way you give uh, Russ a decent spell on the bench and you have someone that is happy running the offense through him, which is what Melo really wants to do. He wants to run ISO offense no matter what. I mean, that's always been Melo's gift as a scorer and his to his detriment. The biggest knock on him is the fact that the offense, he wants it to run through him, whether or not it actually helps the team long run or not. So I actually think OKC works just because you have a little bit more flexibility uh, defensively to cover up the liabilities Carmelo has. And then offensively, I think it just helps take away more shots from Russ, which is long term the best thing they can do in order to keep uh, uh, Westbrook uh, fresh for the playoffs. And in terms of, because we got about another two minutes or so, uh, got a couple of matchups to look at in terms of the college ranks. Uh, biggest one being TCU, Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State, this is actually a pretty good showcase matchup uh, for Mason Rudolph. Uh, if he's really going to be a true Heisman contender, it, this is a must-win matchup, basically, uh, as an eliminator, because you got to... Uh, number six team in the country, Oklahoma State, TCU, ranked 16th. Uh, that's a really good showcase win if you can get it done at home. And uh, well, look good for the Heisman voters. If I'm TCU, I got house money because I'm playing on the road. If I get a uh, win here, that actually puts me pretty good spot in terms of uh, once the selection committee uh, gets involved in a couple of weeks uh, where I get enough uh, high-profile viewers watching my game uh, on ESPN and you know you you, you go you kind of go from there uh, I mean that's the crux of it with college football is that you, you try to get into as many eyeballs for the marquee matchups that you can and given that this is one of the weaker weeks for uh, huge matchups I mean last week you had uh, Clemson Louisville be the marquee matchup and uh, Lamar Jackson just couldn't get anything going for Louisville so that and uh, that game ended up being uh, a wash but you know uh, uh, this week you got a a couple of matchups. You got uh, uh, Notre Dame, Michigan State uh, involved as well. But really, in terms of ranking teams, uh, the matchup would be uh, TCU, Oklahoma State. So, you know, we'll see how it goes from a Heisman perspective if uh, uh, Oklahoma State gets it done. Uh, Mike Gundy will be on national TV with full mullet uh, for the entire world to see. And just take in the fact that he truly is a man, even though he's no longer 40. So uh, that does it for now. I'll be back on a little bit later to kind of go into 
football and uh, recap uh, what was going on with the Premier League matchups today. So for now, enjoy and uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend, guys. It's the most talked about position in all of sports, the quarterback. And now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought after role on the field, Celebrity QB, featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach, Charlie Weiss. Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks. Like, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Will dating Danica Patrick distract Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he's dating Danica Patrick, Charlie. We're interested in that, you know? Well, I mean, Tommy's got Giselle. I'll I'll take Giselle, okay? (laughs) Is Dak Prescott good enough to win a Super Bowl for the Cowboys? Which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018? How about intellectually, Charlie, as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now? The game has changed, but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous. Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.